RPC Radio. Hello and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you missed any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxingmatters. No matter what your view is on each advancement in technology, planet-destroying super technology, or essential assistance to modern everyday life, there is no arguing that research and development is important and needs to be encouraged. And it is by, among other things, research and development tax relief schemes. But like any good tax relief, it is open to potential abuse, and the correct balance needs to be struck between encouraging genuine and legitimate projects and curbing errors and abuses. Joining me today to discuss R&D tax relief, proposals for reform, and what you can do to avoid ending up in sticky situations are Sarah Scala, Head of Tax Dispute Resolutions at Claritas Tax, and Caroline Walton, Head of Innovation Reliefs, also at Claritas Tax. Sarah, Caroline, welcome to Taxing Matters. Hi, Alice. Thanks for having us here today. Thank you very much, Alice. Great. So taking it from the top, Caroline, what is R&D relief and why is it important? Research and development tax relief, it's a corporate tax relief that can either reduce a company's tax bill or for loss-making companies who don't pay any corporation tax, it can provide a cash sum. The tax relief is based on the company's expenditure on research and development activity. In short, it's a UK tax incentive. It's designed to encourage companies to invest in innovation. And the hope is that the money saved in corporation tax will be used by a company to invest in continued innovation. For example, recruitment of staff to work on innovative projects, or simply that the money will be put back into the business to assist with the expansion of a business and contribute to the overall growth of the economy. Essentially, R&D tax relief is part of the government's growth agenda to support innovation in the UK. The UK government has an ambitious target to raise total investment in R&D development to 2.4% of UK GDP by 2027. And R&D tax reliefs have a key role in incentivising this investment by reducing the costs of innovation. Great. Thank you. And Sarah, is there anything you think needs to be added about why it is so important? Well, it's clearly important that companies who have a genuine entitlement to the research and development reliefs are aware of that and have support in claiming them. From my point of view as a tax dispute resolution expert, um, it's important for companies to make the right claims and that those claims are valid because HMRC have in recent years increased their focus on challenging erroneous and fraudulent claims. Caroline, in simple terms, how does it work at the moment? Well, within the UK, there are two R&D tax relief schemes There is a scheme applicable to small and medium-sized enterprises, that is a company having less than 500 employees and an annual turnover of less than 100 million euros and balance sheet assets of less than 86 million euros. And that scheme is called the SME scheme. And there is also another R&D scheme which is applicable to larger enterprises that fall outside the SME limits on employee numbers, turnover and balance sheet assets. 
The scheme that's applicable to larger companies is called the Research and Development Expenditure Credit Scheme, or RDEC for short. There are also rules concerning companies that may have linked and partner enterprises. It may be necessary to aggregate employee numbers, turnover and balance sheet assets to determine whether a company falls within the SME limits to allow the claim to be made under the SME scheme. There can be instances where an SME is obliged to claim under the RDEX scheme, for example, where R&D expenditure is subsidised by a third party or where the SME is subcontracted to carry out R&D activities. There are two R&D tax relief schemes in the UK. In terms of the schemes, the tax definition of what R&D activity is, is the same for both the SME scheme and RDEC. But there are differences in the qualifying expenditure between the schemes. And the schemes are also different in terms of how the tax relief is calculated. Under the SME scheme, the relief operates as an additional deduction against taxable profits for an accounting period. The additional deduction is calculated as 130% of qualifying R&D expenditure, Whereas under the RDEX scheme, the relief operates as a taxable credit and the credit is 13% of qualifying R&D expenditure. In terms of how the benefit can be taken, it can operate as a reduction in a current corporation tax liability. It can operate as a tax rebate since it's possible to go back to previous accounting periods in terms of claiming the relief. So that could be money coming back from HMRC in respect of overpay corporation tax. It can also operate as a tax credit for a loss-making company. If the R&D deduction creates a loss or increases um, losses, then that can be surrendered at 14.5% of the surrenderable value. Also, making a claim can create new losses, which could reduce a future corporation tax liability. A claim for R&D tax relief is made through a company's tax return, that's the CT600, either in the original CT600 or if you're going to claim retrospectively a tax rebate, it requires an amendment to a CT600. All the amendments should be filed at HMRC together with a technical narrative explaining how the company qualifies for R&D tax relief. And how do you qualify for R&D tax relief? In order to qualify for R&D tax relief, a company must be carrying out a project that seeks to achieve an advance in a field of science or technology. It's necessary for the company to be able to state what the intended advance is and to show how, through the resolution of scientific or technological uncertainty, the project seeks to achieve this. The activities that constitute R&D for tax purposes are those activities undertaken as part of the project which fall to be accounted for as R&D under generally accepted accounting practice and also fall within the special definition set out in the BEIS guidelines, those formerly the DTI guidelines. Once the advance in science and technology has been articulated and the scope of the R&D project has been defined and the project activities which fall within the definition of R&D for tax purposes have been identified, then tax rules set out what expenditure may be eligible for relief and the conditions that must be satisfied for the expenditure to qualify for relief. Fundamental thing is that we're looking for activities or projects where a company has sought to advance a particular field of science or technology. So what kinds of errors and abuses are you and HMRC seeing at the moment? Quite a lot. <laughs> One of the key things that you see time and time again are attempts by claimants to push the boundaries in terms of what R&D activity actually is. In other words, claiming for projects which quite simply don't qualify as being an activity to try and advance a particular field of science or technology. 
or where reports are prepared where the actual field of science or technology hasn't been correctly identified. Any claims like that would be open to an inquiry from HMRC. In addition to problems in terms of the actual R&D activity itself, other common areas we see are agents who try and claim for expenditure, which doesn't qualify. It's outside the qualifying categories. For example, claiming for costs in relation to staff who aren't actually employees of the company and not on the payroll, not applying the special rules for connected parties properly, companies not recognising whether or not they're actually an SME, so not looking at the proper figures. A big one is SMEs that claim under the SME scheme where actually their R&D expenditure is subsidised by a third party or they're subcontracted to carry out R&D activity and they should in fact be claiming under RDEC. Those are some of the common problems, claiming R&D tax relief under the incorrect scheme. Thank you, Caroline. And Sarah, from your point of view in the tax dispute resolution area, what kinds of things might you see or expect to see? Well, things can range between genuine errors and at the other end of the scale, criminal activity. So it could be the case that relief has been claimed for a project that didn't exist on the more extreme end. In any case, any form of evasion or dishonesty will be taken very seriously by HMRC and best advice would be not to wait for a challenge from HMRC, but if a company is aware that it didn't make correct claims, it should engage a specialist without delay. Thank you. So Caroline, there have been some reforms proposed. What are they designed to do and how would they change the relief schemes you've talked about? The concern from HMRC is just that obviously this is an attractive relief and for that reason there's been a massive increase in terms of the numbers of companies that seek to claim it year in year out. That can be shown by annual stats that are published by HMRC concerning the number of claims. For instance, the most recent stats were published by HMRC in April. The estimated total number of R&D tax credit claims for the year ended March 2020 is 85,900. That's an increase of 16% from the previous year. HMRC states that the increase is primarily driven by a 16% rise in the number of SME R&D claims to 76,225. There were 9,675 RDEC claims. Quite simply, with the vast number of claims that HMRC is receiving, it's not possible to police every claim in the way that they might want to. Because the R&D tax relief arena isn't regulated in terms of the types of businesses that are conducting R&D tax relief claims, You might have a regulated business such as a chartered tax advisor or an accountant, but equally there are an awful lot of unqualified businesses which aren't regulated operating with this arena as well. Unfortunately, there have been problems with claims not being properly constructed, projects which don't qualify as R&D or the costs not having been put together in the correct manner. This has been on HMRC's radar, this problem, and the government's radar for some time. In addition to concern about incorrect claims and possible abuse and fraud, there has been a desire for some time or recognition that the R&D tax relief scheme in this country has been a little bit antiquated in terms of types of qualifying expenditure and not necessarily fit for purpose for modern businesses. With that in mind, the government essentially wanted to overhaul the schemes and there was a large consultation into the R&D tax relief schemes in the UK, which took place between March and June 2021. At Claritas, I participated in the consultation. We sent a paper in with our recommendations in terms of the reforms that we thought would be beneficial. 
a report was actually published in November 21 with news essentially for the industry in terms of what the government intended to do. We're essentially at this point in time waiting for draft legislation. There are going to be reforms that are going to come into effect as from April 2023. Some of the measures that are going to be introduced then, there are some measures which are actually in place now. One of them is that HMRC is going to allocate additional resource to R&D tax relief compliance. So in recognition of the sheer volume of claims and the fact they can't look at every single one, they're now allocating additional resource internally. In addition to that, they're going to introduce a requirement for all claims to be made digitally in the future. And they're going to require far more detail concerning the nature of a claim when the claim is made. They're going to want clear information as to the field of science technology in which the advance has been sought, what the technological or scientific uncertainties were, which I really welcome. One of the other things that's going to happen is that in future, all R&D claims that are submitted to HMRC are going to need to be endorsed by a senior officer of the company. So that is I think massively going to help with a company having to take more responsibility for the accuracy of the claims that are submitted. There's going to be a requirement for a company to inform HMRC in advance of their intention to make a claim. Doing that, there's going to be an opportunity for HMRC to actually get involved with a claim, vocalise whether or not it's likely to be accepted in advance rather than being given a claim to have to investigate after the event. Finally, it's also going to be necessary for details of the agent to advise the company on compiling the claim for that information to be provided, which at the moment doesn't happen. So far more encouragement for a company to take responsibility and also for HMRC to really see where the fault in any errors or any inaccuracies lies. You know, is it with the company or is it with the agent? So Sarah, what can HMRC do if you aren't compliant? The first step, Alice, is that HMRC would open an inquiry into a company's tax return to check the claim that has been submitted for research and development tax relief. Often HMRC then decide that they want to investigate, for example, the prior year's tax return and will do so if they're in time to open an inquiry into that year. In addition, if those inquiries lead HMRC to be able to use what we call their discovery powers, they can then open inquiries and make adjustments to earlier years still. So, for example, a case of mine that I have at the moment has HMRC wanting to close the inquiry and deny claims for four tax years. Once HMRC have made their inquiries and potentially reduced or rejected claims, they then start to look at the penalties that they will seek to impose. And that's where they consider the behaviour of the taxpayer and what caused the errors in the claims, the reason for there needing to be an adjustment. HMRC will consider whether reasonable care was taken when the claims were made. And in that case, there usually is no penalty. They'll consider whether errors arose because behaviour on the taxpayer's part was careless. In that case, a penalty may be charged. And then as the behaviour that's determined gets more serious, of course, penalties can increase. Further categories of behaviour include deliberate behaviour, the most severe 
is if a company deliberately concealed evidence when making, at that stage, usually fraudulent claims. There has been success on HMRC's part with criminal investigations and successfully prosecuting taxpayers. So in November 2020, three individuals were successfully prosecuted and sentenced to a total of 21 years in prison. And a further thing to add, Alice, is that when HMRC conduct the inquiries into the research and development relief, they may have cause to investigate wider aspects of the business. Thank you, Sarah. So if you are in a position where HMRC do open inquiry, what should you do? Well, the first thing to do is to check that the opening of the inquiry is valid and that HMRC are in time to do so. Usually, they have a year from the date the return was received to inquire. Then the task would be to provide clear explanations considering the points that Caroline has already covered, typically being to give precise details of the project undertaken, to be clear on what the technological uncertainty was and the advancement that was sought. Very importantly, to satisfy HMRC on why the solution that you sought to obtain was not readily available in the marketplace. As the inquiry progresses, a company might decide that it's worth getting a second opinion from another advisor. And that doesn't mean that there has to be any disloyalty to an existing advisor. I currently have a new client who they are themselves the research and development business and they have asked Claritas to review the claims that they themselves made for their client, review the inquiry correspondence to date and give our view as to whether we would have done anything differently. Unfortunately, in that case, the HMRC officer has communicated his intention to close the case. So, It can be important to consider a second opinion early on when the opinion giver has got involved at an early enough stage to affect the strategy and assist in changing the outcome of the inquiry. If the officer has already suggested that they're going to close the inquiry and deny the claim, as was the case for my client, what can be done there, you can request that another individual within HMRC that hasn't as yet been involved in those inquiries on your particular client. You can request that that independent person conducts a review of the case. That was the option available to my client and I was then involved in preparing the submission that will go to that new officer, hopefully to get the inquiry in front of somebody that is looking at it with fresh eyes. Unfortunately, it does happen quite regularly that an officer appears to have made their mind up about disallowing the claim before they've actually asked any questions. So if you are faced with that type of officer, you should welcome the review to be conducted by somebody else. And hopefully that person will consider each piece of evidence on its own merits. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your assistance explaining R&D tax relief to our listeners today. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this week's episode. So thank you again to Sarah and Caroline for joining us from Claritas Tax. You can find Sarah and Caroline both through LinkedIn and on Claritas's website. If you have any questions for me, Sarah or Caroline, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. RPC would like to 
thank podcast manager Josh McDonald. Original score was composed and produced by Insider Music, who also produced this podcast series. To hear a full, uninterrupted version of our podcast theme, go to Instagram at Insider Music and follow the link in bio. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like texting matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again in two weeks.